the book of Romans in chapter 6. Book of Romans chapter 6. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 12 through 14. Verses 12 through 14. As we continue our verse by verse study through this great letter to the church in Rome and ultimately from God to his people. Romans 6, beginning in verse 12. This is the word of God. Listen carefully. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. We have spent the last three weeks trying to dig deep into who it is that we are as Christians. We've been learning about our own identity. We have, been, we have learned that because of the death And because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we too, who are Christians, have died and have risen again to new life. Sin no longer has dominion over us. We've died to sin. And we now long to be holy. We now long to be like our Savior. We are alive to God. Now there is an already not yet aspect to this. We have died to sin and risen again in the past by being born again by the Spirit of God. Right In that moment, however it happened for you, but if you've been born again, then in that moment, there, there came a moment when you saw sin for the wicked ruler that it is and you turned from it. Your allegiance shifted Rather than love for sin, hatred for sin begin to well up in your heart. And at the same time, you saw the beauty of Christ as you had never seen it before. You saw His glory. You saw His awesome might and power and wisdom. In that moment when we were born again, we saw that Christ is worthy of all our love, all of our devotion, the passion that we once had for sin, the passion we once had for living our own lives, our own way for the service of self, suddenly turned into a passion to live unto the Lord Jesus Christ for His glory and honor. We went from being dead to God and alive to sin to being dead to sin and alive to God. And this continues every day. As Christians, as we're we're growing up, the more we mature, the more we are learning every day to, to recognize new sins in us and to put them to death. 
And at the same time, we're learning more and more about what it means to be holy. Holiness is, is slowly gripping us. We're slowly becoming more and more like our Savior. And one day, this process will reach a happy, climactic end. As sin will be forever removed from us. And we will be made perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. When is that day? Well, it's when you die or when Jesus comes back. Whichever is first. And so Christians, we've seen this over three weeks now. This is who we are. This is what God is doing in us. It is a great thing. It is a miracle. None of it possible without the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. God would have been unjust to bless criminals like us with a gift of salvation like this were it not for Christ making us no longer criminals, but those who could be righteous in His sight at the cross. So because of the life and the death of Jesus Christ, God is holy to bless us in this way. And this is a great salvation we have received and we're still in the process of receiving it. Now, in light of these awesome truths that we've been unpacking for three weeks, in light of this, the question comes, how now do we live? Knowing these things, what difference should it make in our lives? If death to sin and walking in Christ is what has happened to us and what is happening to us and is what God will cause to happen to us, what is our role to play in this? Do we just sit back? Just watch? What's our role to play in this thing called sanctification? And the answer is found in these verses. Verses 12, 13, and 14. Christ is going to accomplish His purpose in us of making us holy, but, listen closely, He's going to do it through our minds and our hearts and our wills. We do have a role to play in this work of becoming like Jesus Christ. We too are to share the mission that Jesus has for us. We too are to be working every day to see sin defeated and righteousness flourishing in us. And therefore, in verse 12, Paul gives this command. Let not sin reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. That is, the passions of your mortal bodies. I want to draw your attention to three points in this verse. I want you to see first our enemy, namely sin. I want you to see second enemies, I'm sorry, our enemy's desire, sin's desire, which is to reign over us. So we have an enemy, sin. We have in our enemy's desire to reign over us. And third, I want you to see that our enemy has allies, namely our own sinful desires. So our enemy is sin. Sin's desire is to reign over us. And sin has allies, namely our own sinful 
desires. If we are going to defeat our enemy, if we are going to join our Savior in this conquest against sin in our hearts, we need to know our enemy, right? You've heard the saying, knowing is half the battle. So this week, our focus is just verse 12 and getting to know the enemy. The next week and the week after, we will look at how we defeat the enemy. So number one, notice first that sin is our enemy. Let not sin reign in your mortal bodies. Sin is wickedness. Sin is darkness. Sin is that which is anti-God, the opposite of God. This verse speaks of sin as a force to be reckoned with. In fact, this verse almost speaks of sin as a person. Did you notice that? Let not sin reign. Well, who normally reigns? People do. He almost describes sin as a a person, a person that has power, a person that has desire, a person that has allies and a strategy for defeating you. Now let's be clear, sin is not a person. But Paul personifies sin here to help us think better about how sin is functioning in our lives. The point of this personification, the point of Paul describing sin this way, is to stress that sin is not some stagnant thing. Wickedness is not a stagnant thing. Darkness is not a stagnant thing. Sin is active. Darkness is constantly seeking to expand into more areas of your life. Darkness wants to bring you more into its realm. Wickedness is constantly at work within you. When you think of your fight with sin, you must not think of you and sin in a boxing match in which sin is just standing there doing nothing. Sin is fighting. If you're going to get into this battle, you need to understand you have an enemy that is not there ripe for you to defeat it. This is an enemy that fights back and fights hard. Sin is relentless in its punches. You cannot take a break from fighting back. You cannot ignore that sin is there in your life and it is seeking to cause you harm. If you ignore it, it will punish you. It will pummel you. It will beat you black and blue. And so as we've heard often from this pulpit, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. It is crucial that you do not underestimate this enemy called sin. Again, picture yourself. You do this in your own mind. Picture yourself battling sin in a boxing match. Picture it. In your mind, do you picture two persons who are evenly matched? Did you picture you and sin as being about the same height? As being about the same build? Because that is not the way it is. Sin is bigger than you are. Sin is stronger than you are. When you picture yourself fighting sin, you should picture yourself as David. 
and you should picture sin as Goliath. Humanly speaking, humanly speaking, you have no chance of defeating this enemy in your life. Those are the odds. In your own strength, zero chance. Think about it. Apart from Christ, what strength do you have to fight sin? I mean, not only is Satan tempting you not to fight, but to give in. Not only is the world that you live and breathe in every second of every day influencing you to give in and not to fight, but your own flesh is urging you, pulling you, don't fight, give in. Be on sin's side. Give sway to sin. In front of you is sin. This mighty monster called sin. But it doesn't look like a mighty monster. He appears as an attractive girl in a short skirt. He appears as an invitation to indulge yourself upon delicious food. He appears as a sly strategy to do some questionable things so that you can get ahead in the workplace. This massive, a powerful monster that wants to kill you appears as a gentle friend wooing your heart. Come on. This will make you happy. Don't you want to be happy? Just do this thing. It's not that big of a deal. Others do it. Come on. Apart from Christ, what power do we have to see sin for what it is and to overcome its mighty pull on us? And the answer is, we have no power. We are blind. Now, we may reject one sin for another, but in the end, we bow to sin. And in the end, we give in. Don't be deceived, church. This enemy called sin is powerful. But, let's remember this too. David defeated Goliath. David cut off Goliath's head. How? Because he was much mightier than Goliath? Because David was more skilled in fighting than Goliath? David defeated Goliath because there was someone else there with David fighting Goliath. There was someone far more powerful than Goliath involved in that fight. Someone so strong and so powerful that Goliath was like a speck of dust to him. Someone with the power to determine exactly where that stone would hit. What did David say? This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. For the battle is the Lord's. He will give you into our hand. Friends, if we are Christians, this battle against sin is no longer our battle. 
It is Christ's battle against sin in our lives. Christ has taken responsibility for us. We are His sheep. He is our shepherd. Christ protects His sheep. He will not allow sin to conquer us. Do not underestimate this enemy called sin, but do not quake in fear either. Let us remember that we fight with the King of kings and the Lord of hosts at our side. What's more, this enemy called sin in our hearts has lost his throne. In the past, sin ruled our hearts. You remember those days. Some of you in here, this may still be you. But for those of you in here who are Christians, there was a day when sin ruled your heart and you remember what that was like. Everything within us pushed to do the will of sin. Our very soul loved sin. We, we didn't want to fight. Why fight sin? It's, it's so much fun. We didn't even think in these concepts. We didn't think in these categories. We didn't think in these terms. We just did what we wanted to do. We were blind to the true nature of sin. And we were happy for sin to have our hearts thrown. We treasured it. But now that this revolution has taken place within us, now that our eyes have been opened, we've begun to see sin for what it is. Now that our allegiance has changed, oh, we are opposed to sin. We've turned from it. But this change of allegiance has not yet fully taken place. Dear Christians, don't we know that there is still darkness within us? Well, not like it used to be, but there is still darkness within us. And as long as we are in this world, we will be plagued by a part of us that still loves sin. A part of us that wants us to go back and give sin the throne of our hearts. But that part of us is different from the core of who we are. Since we've been born again, the core of who we are has changed. At the very bottom of who we are, there is a seed that has been planted. And this seed is, is growing. And love for Christ, love for holiness is growing. It is driving the darkness out of us. We have a terrible enemy. But Christ is on our side. And the decisive battle has already been fought. The decisive battle has already been fought. Sin is fatally wounded. Fatally wounded. And like a wild animal, sin is now ferocious. Sin wants to devour us. But he's dying. And he will not win. Sin will not reconquer us. Christ guarantees it. We are His. So that's our enemy, sin. Look secondly at our enemy's desire. Verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. Sin's desire is to reign. Sin longs for the good old days when it used to sit on the throne of your heart. Sin wants those good old days to return. Sin wants to reconquer you. It wants to take you back under its dominion. Notice that Paul uses the phrase mortal bodies. Do you see that? Mortal 
bodies. Let not sin reign in your mortal bodies. What does that mean? What do you think that means? There are two major views concerning what Paul means by this phrase. One view is that Paul is speaking here about our actual physical bodies. Right? Do not let sin hold sway over your mind. Do not let sin hold sway over your eyes. Do not let sin hold sway over your tongue, over your hands, over your feet. The other view is that Paul uses the word body here the way he often uses the word flesh. Not referring to the physical part of us, but to that inner, deeper part of us that still wants to serve sin. Calvin held to that view. Douglas Moo, whose commentary uh, is often seen as the standard of our day for Romans, holds that view. I'm, I'm not 100% positive about this, just to be honest. My own view at this point is that I actually think Paul is referring to our physical bodies and not to the flesh. And I say that for three reasons. Three reasons why I think he's saying don't give your eyes, your hands, your feet, your mind to the service of sin. Physical bodies. Why do I think that's what he means? Well, number one, Paul goes on in the next verse to speak of our members. Do you see that in verse 13? He speaks of our members. And that's the same word he uses in other places to speak of parts of the body. Right? So he, he uses this word, your mortal body, and then he speaks of your members, and that's referring to parts of these mortal bodies. Second, Paul uses the adjective mortal before the word bodies, implying that he is speaking of, of that part of us that is going to die. You see, often when we think of the flesh, we're talking about that part of us that still wants to serve sin. Okay? But we're talking about something spiritual there, something within our own spirits. And though our spirit will be purified, our spirit is not mortal. It is our bodies that are mortal. It is our bodies that are going to perish. And then finally, if he was using the word bodies here, the same way he uses the word flesh, to me the verse just doesn't quite make sense. If the flesh is that part of us that already loves sin and wants to do the will of sin, if the flesh is that part of us that already wants sin to reign, then what does it mean to say, don't let sin reign in your flesh? What does it mean to say, don't give your, that, that sinful part of you that won't sin to reign, don't give that to sin? Well, it already belongs to sin. It's already been given there. It's there. And so my understanding, and again, I'm not 100% positive, but this is how we're going to go along in interpreting these verses, is that he's speaking here with the meaning that seems to me the most obvious one, that by mortal bodies, he means our mortal bodies, our, what you live in every day, your eyes, your tongue, your nose, your hair, all of us. Since Jesus Christ has created this revolution in your soul, and this revolution is going to continue until the day sin is utterly removed from you. Therefore, don't give your body to sin's control. Remember, Paul is still addressing those who want to say, now that we're Christians, let's go live in sin. Right? 
He's still addressing those people. And Paul is saying, no, don't let there be a disconnect between what is happening in here and what is happening in the way that you live. Don't let there be a disconnect between Christ's work of purifying your heart and what you're doing every day with your thoughts and your minds and your words and your actions. Think with me for a moment, okay? Why would there be a disconnect? Why would there be a disconnect between what is happening in our hearts and the way we're living with these mortal bodies of ours? Listen carefully to Jerry Bridges. I want you to see if you agree with this. I thought this was very insightful. You listen, see if you agree. Because we are born as sinners, we have from birth developed habits of sin. As Jay Adams has said, we were born sinners. But it took practice to develop our particular styles of sinning. The old life was disciplined, trained towards ungodliness. And we all tend to act according to these sinful habits that have been ingrained in us from long practice. In other words, folks, we don't normally just occasionally sin here or occasionally sin there. We tend to get in in habitual patterns of sin, don't we? especially before we were saved. We can look at this habit of sin and this habit of sin and this habit of sin and two rank sinners who care nothing for Jesus Christ, utterly blind, utterly lost, may be living in completely different patterns of sin. Their life naturally flowed into one over here and this life naturally flowed into another pattern of sin over here. We all tend to act according to these sinful habits that have been ingrained in us from long practice. Now suppose, for example, that I had a lame leg and that because of my lame leg, I developed a limp. If through surgery my lameness is cured, I would still be tempted to limp out of habit. Or do you suppose that when the slaves were freed by President Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation, do you think they immediately began to live as free men? Undoubtedly, they still tended to act as slaves because all they had known their whole life was slavery. You see, I think that's very close to what Paul is is dealing with here. Yes, we've been born again. Yes, we've been converted. But that doesn't mean we've lost all our old ways yet. Think about these Roman Christians. Think about what their lives were like before they were saved. Much like us, these Roman Christians were in habits of saying terrible things. They used their bodies in immorality. They allowed their tempers to flare. They allowed their words to manipulate. They allowed their appetites to rule. And now that they've become Christians, it's not as if all of that just suddenly goes away. They must resolve to break these old habits. They must identify these habits and they must fight against them now. They must resolve that they will face up to each and every one of these old ways of life and say, no more! Repentance is not just something we do at conversion. Repentance is something we have to do every day as we see more and more of the old life that we need to get rid of. Even for those of us who have been Christians for decades, we still have patterns in our lives that are holdovers 
from before we became Christians. And it may have taken us no time at all to develop that sinful pattern. And it may take us a lifetime of fighting to get rid of it. How long does it take a child to develop the pattern of being grumpy and bitter when the child doesn't get, get its way? How much practice does that take? And, and we learn that pattern quick. Get grumpy when I don't get what I want. Get grumpy when I don't get what I want. Oh, we develop that habit so quickly. It can take a lifetime of fighting to get rid of that habit. But as Christians, we're fighting it. We identify it and we fight it. Sin would like nothing more than for those who belong to Jesus Christ to walk around doing the same things they used to do. That's what sin wants. And Paul was saying we cannot let sin have that pleasure. In light of what Christ is doing in our lives, we must resist sin's desire to hold sway over our thoughts, words, deeds, and actions. What does sin desire? It desires to reign over your day-to-day life. Sin desires to reign over the way you speak to others. Sin desires to reign over your entertainment choices, the way you spend your money, the thoughts that you dwell on. Because of Christ, we can fight. And we can see genuine, spiritual, substantial changes in the way we live in this dying world. Very quickly, number three, your enemy's allies. Your enemy's allies. Namely, your own sinful desires. Our, sin, our enemy is sin. Our enemy's desire is to reign over us. And now we see those who are a friend to our enemy. We see those who are our enemy's allies, united with sin in this cause to do us harm. Who is sin working through as it seeks to regain the throne of our hearts? Answer, it's working through the sinful desires that are still within you. Look at verse 12 again. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. There are passions in you, church. There are longings, there are desires within you that urge you to still live according to the ways of sin. There are desires that pull at you, there are desires that plead with you to do the things you ought not to do. And each time we obey those desires, we are are giving to sin a little bit more ground in our lives. Sin won't prevail, Christ won't let it for His but we could prove to not be His if we keep living this way. Sin, fatally wounded in all, can have real victories in our lives. And sin's victories in our lives bring real harm to us. They bring real harm to our families. They bring real harm to our other relationships. They bring real harm to the name of Christ. We don't want sin to have victories. It hurts people. And it hurts the gospel. And it hurts the glory of Christ. So what are these passions? What are these sinful desires within us that sin wants to use to reconquer the throne of our hearts? Well, many of these are just natural desires. They're good desires. That is, they're they're desires that God created for us to have. But sin takes them and twists them. They've been distorted by the fall. Like your desire for food. Is the desire for food a bad thing? This is an important desire. You need your desire for food or you die. 
But what does sin do with this desire for food? Twists it and makes it ugly. It's not satisfied with moderate eating. It isn't satisfied with a limited enjoyment of sweets and fatty foods. No, there's a longing for, for a little bit more and a little bit more. A longing to fill up on foods that are unhealthy so that even after our stomachs are full and we hurt, our eyes and our brains see how yummy it looks and we just keep hurting ourselves. Is the desire for sleep. How crucial is the desire for sleep? It's a, it's a good desire. If God had not created our bodies to tell us that we're tired and we need rest, we would cause ourselves real physical harm. Eventually we die. The desire to sleep is good. But oh, how can it can be harnessed by sin for wicked purposes. We can become lazy, sleeping way more than we should. Refusing to fulfill our callings. How long will you lie there, old sluggard? When will you arise from your little sleep? Oh, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and wants like an armed man. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard turn on his bed. How many families have been plagued by poverty and disarray and discord because of a father too lazy to keep a job. Just couldn't get out of bed in the morning. Many kids have been plunged into misery by a mother too lazy to get out of bed, tend to the kids, tend to the house. What about the desire for physical intimacy? It's not a bad desire, right? Husbands and wives are to enjoy this within marriage and it, it brings reproduction to the human race. Without the desire for physical intimacy, the human race would die out. It's a good desire. But let sin get a hold of it and what kind of ugly things happen? Sin gets a hold of that desire for physical intimacy and suddenly you have pornography and fornication and adultery and despicable acts we won't even mention. There are other natural desires that sin turns into its allies. Ambition. The desire to, to work and be productive in this life. The desire to speak truth in the service of Christ. These things can be fantastic. God-glorifying desires in the service of sin. They can kill people. So the battlefield in the fight against sin is the human heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. When these desires spring up in your life, you've already had desires spring up even while I'm preaching. And you're going to have a lot more desires spring up this afternoon and more desires spring up tonight. And the question is, when you have your desires, do you bring them immediately into submission to the will of the Lord Jesus Christ? Will our love for Christ, will our desire to serve Christ, will our heart for Christ trump everything else and bring everything else into its service? Or will we allow these natural desires to have such a grip on us 
that from moment to moment we might love food more than Jesus. We might love sleep more than Jesus. We might love sex more than Jesus. Will we allow sin to reign over us in such a way that at least for a time we treasure other things more than our Savior who loves us more than we could possibly imagine and is blessing us every second of every day? So next week, we'll talk about how to fight. Next week, we'll focus on the defense, and then Easter Sunday, we'll focus on the offense in this battle. I'm going to be honest with you, church. Verses 12, 13, and 14, they have broken open for me in such a way by the grace of God that these verses have been so helpful, so helpful, and I really hope they'll be very helpful to you. So I'm very much looking forward to talking about our defense and our offense and how by the grace of Christ we can see real victory against sin for the blessing of us and the blessing of others and the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Let me close the call to fight. Close with a call to fight. I want to read a quote from John Piper. Um, it's probably one of his most famous quotes. It has affected a lot of people. So you just listen and uh, listen to what he says. It's a call to fight and we're done. The only possible attitude towards out-of-control desires is a declaration of all-out war. I hear so many Christians murmuring about their imperfections, about their failures, their addictions, their shortcomings, but I see so little war. Murmur, murmur, murmur. Why am I this way? Make war. If you wonder how, go to the manual. But don't just bellyache about your failures. Make war. There is a mean, violent streak to the Christian life. Violence against whom? Or what? It's not other people. Right? We're not like other religions. Christianity is not about fighting against other people. We're not fighting Muslims. We're not fighting Hindus, Buddhists, atheists, secularists, nominal Christians, not wives or husbands or children or ornery bosses. No, we are to fight on every impulse within us to do violence to other people. There is a mean streak in Christianity against our own selves and against everything within us that would make peace with sin. It is a violence against all lust in ourselves, against all enslaving desires for food, caffeine, sugar, chocolate, alcohol, pornography, money, the praise of man, approval of others, power, fame. These are our enemies. This is where we make war. It's a violence against all racism in our souls. All sluggish indifference to injustice. A violence against all indifference to poverty. Violence against all indifference to abortion. There's a call to fight. Mount Hermon, if we do not fight, sin still has dominion and we're not who we claim to be. But if we are trusting Jesus, then we can enter Sunday afternoon and we can enter a new week with resolve 
that by the power given to us in Jesus Christ, we will make progress against sin. So, let us begin by praising God for the grace that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We must praise God that we're not saved by fighting. We're saved by resting. But in light of that, let's praise God for the fatal blow already given to sin, and then let's go stomp on its head. Let's go destroy it within our own souls. Amen? May Jesus help us. Let's pray.